We are together. We participate in this thing called the Christian life. We work together. We're side by side. We're brothers. We're fellow workers. We're fellow soldiers in this thing called gospel living. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. In the passage we're going to look at today, you're going to look at a church, Philippi, and you're going to look at two very intensely personal relationships with these two men, Timothy and Paul. So let's go there and look with me at the text, which is in Philippians 2, start at verse 19. This is God's Word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know that Timothy's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him back in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, O Holy Spirit, you who inspired Paul to write these very words, would you now illuminate our hearts to understand them, and particularly this important thing about working out our salvation in the context of relationships. I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and open our minds to this Word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, I'm going to move through this first very quickly here. I want you to look at the three sort of key relationships here. First of all, Paul with the church. Look at the church there at Philippi. Several important things about the importance of the local church. It is there that we find family. It is there that we establish relationships. The local church is our spiritual family. It's where we develop these kinds of relationships that I'm talking about. And this church at Philippi was very, very important to Paul. It was the first church he planted in Europe. And the people there were crazy about him. They loved him. They prayed for him when he's in prison. They sent Epaphroditus with a gift to, to encourage him and sent Epaphroditus there to minister to him while he was there. At the very opening of his epistle, he wrote these words, I thank my God every time I remember you 
he's writing to the church there. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He had this very special relationship. Now, what was it that was in that church, in individual churches, what is it that makes us family, even though we may not know each other well? You know what it is? It's our common faith and love of Jesus. If there's anything I know, going through three, through three services today and looking out on this congregation, I know this. The one thing that holds us together, there may be a lot of things that make us different, but the one thing that holds us together is our love for Jesus Christ and his love for us. And that's why the body of Christ, the church, is so important. And the local church is so important because that's God's family. That's the secure home that we're seeking to develop here so that, that people here know what it is to be loved for, cared for. It was happening in Philippi. Now I want you to move to the relationships. Look, look at Timothy. Look at Timothy. It's amazing, the relationship of Paul and Timothy. Timothy was converted as a, as a child. Uh, Paul discipled Timothy. He viewed Timothy as a son. And he had this great uh, love and affection for this young man. Uh, Timothy, you really find the beginning of their relationship in Acts chapter 16, where Timothy started traveling with Paul and Luke. And it was there that Paul entered into this very, very close relationship with Timothy. And when he writes this letter, did you notice what he said about him in this letter? I have no one else like him. Think about that, friend. Here's the Apostle Paul. I have no one else like Timothy. And he goes on to write of Timothy. He says, uh, he says, Timothy's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul had this unique relationship with Timothy as a father. And I want to start right now. When we're talking about gospel, radical gospel-driven relationships, I'm going to say this to all of us. We need those kinds of relationships. When I preached the last time here, I preached on my, my father. I, I told the story of my father. I actually read a letter that my father wrote me of this deep, deep relationship that he and I had. My dad died when I was 20 years old. And I'll tell you from the time he died, I always look for older men who were my father figures. And in every one of the churches that I served, there were those men who came along with me. They were older men. They were wiser men. They were men that I knew loved me. They were men I could look up to. They were men I could respect. They were men I could go to. I trusted them with my life. If you go to, to our home now, in my study behind my desk, on the, sh on the bookshelves behind my desk, are pictures of five men. They're all with the Lord now, but I tell you, I still look around at them, and I long for them because they were my fathers, my spiritual fathers who loved me. I simply raise the question now, who are you investing your life in? Have you got a Timothy in your life? Have you got a Paul in your life? Do you remember how Timothy was converted? It was through his grandmother and his mother and the rich faith that they had. 
those relationships become so critically important. Then you move on to Epaphroditus, another level of relationship. It wasn't like a father and son. It was a brother. Did you notice that? My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. I mean, that's what we have in, in the church. We have those, yes, we have father, sons, but we also had this relationship where we are together. We participate in this thing called the Christian life. We work together. We're side by side. We're brothers. We're fellow workers. We're fellow soldiers in this thing called gospel living. We desperately need each other. And that's what you saw in Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus got sick. The people in Philippi were worried about him. Paul sent word back. And, and, and Epaphroditus lived. But Epaphroditus then took this letter back to the folks there in which Paul was encouraging them and thanking them for these relationships. You see what I'm saying? Now that brings us to the importance of developing these kinds of relationships of Christian community. And one of the major part of our vision plan involves the development of, strong, of a strong sense of community where the members of our church, where we're cultivating relationships, cultivating relationships where we help each other in our Christian growth. Even though we're a large church, we want to create that kind of culture here. A culture where we are there, brothers, sisters, we're together, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters. We're together working this thing called the gospel out together where we are working out our salvation, where we're helping each other along with this. On your outline, if you'll look at it for a minute, I, I've, I've printed a quote there from Tim Keller's book on Center Church, and I want you to look at that quote because the quote reads like this. Can you find it on your outlines there? It should be printed. Growth in grace, wisdom, and character does not happen primarily in classes and instruction. Now, what primarily happens in classes and instruction is head knowledge. We get it up here. And what Tim is saying is that growth in grace, wisdom, and character doesn't happen primarily in classes and instructions, even through large wor wor uh, worship gatherings or even in solitude. Most often, growth happens through deep relationships and in communities where the implications of the gospel are worked out cognitively and worked in practically. Now, follow that. Growth happens through deep relationships and in communities where the implications of the gospel are worked out cognitively and worked in practically. I was just this week in Atlanta. There were, there were 10 of us who were together for three days. Uh, we've been doing this. This is our 23rd year of a group of us. Tim is one of the, one of the men in, my, in this group that we call ourselves a gathering of friends. And we get together once a year. We spend three days together. And I'm telling you, we just unpack life. We're all about the same age. We're about the same stage in life. And, and all of us, we, we started talking about 23 years we've been together. And we've, we've been with each other through the death of spouses. We've been with each other through difficulties with children. We've been with each other through becoming grandparents. We've been through with each other with all of these things. And we... We who are men, we're all ministers. We desperately need each other on a personal deep level. 
That's what I'm talking about, is these kinds of relationships where you come together and you begin to work out the implications of the gospel. That's what it means to work out your salvation. Now here's how it works. For instance, how do you work out some of these great theological things we believe? You know, justification, the doctrine of justification, central. Martin Luther says the church stands or falls on this doctrine of justification. And I guarantee you, many of you in this room, you could quote the catechism definition of justification. But you're still struggling in your life with guilt. You're still struggling in your life for your own identity. You feel insignificant. You're overwhelmed. Even though the doctrine of justification says that we, our sins have been forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ and the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to us, we are accepted by God and we are secure in our relationship with God. But I'm going to tell you something. There are times I need my brothers around me who are encouraging me when I feel overwhelmed. When guilt just sort of takes over and you look at the failures of your life and you've got them there to help you and encourage you to say, yes, but remember, you are loved. You are loved. Even though we know, you follow it, even though we know it up here, sometimes we don't get it here. And we need each other to help us, remind us, encourage us in the great doctrines of the faith and in the practical aspects of life. How do we learn how to do marriage together? How do we learn about our kids? I just came back, I spent the, the last night with my son and and daughter-in-law and the two, two little grandchildren who were there. And I just was around them for a while. Both my son and his wife work, and I'm telling you, they come home, the kids come home, they begin home from school, and I'm telling you, it's just chaos. And I'm looking at that. And, and by the way, 5.30 the next morning, little Shelt, who's three, is in bed with me. Papa, Papa, you know, at 5, 5.30 in the morning. I'm just telling you, I'm not quite used to that, you know. <laughs> of course, I loved it. But Look, I look at their lives and I'm thinking, boy, do they need community. They need couples who are there, who are working. How do we handle all these demands that are on us of working and trying to get our kids raised and discipline and all that stuff? We need each other. You see, do you see the point? And the way that you work the implications of the gospel out in your life. You see, look, here, let me tell you. Okay, here. I don't know how to say it another way. We're in deep trouble in this country. Right? Yes? We're in deep trouble. I mean, good gracious. I'm listening to these debates, and I don't even want to go there. You know, I'm listening to all this stuff, and I'm just looking at that thinking, what in the world are we going to do? How did we get in this mess? And I'm going to tell you something. I started thinking about it started looking at, how do we get in this mess? We could blame the politicians. We could look to the politicians for, for turning things around. I want to tell you something, that's not going to turn it around. You know how we got in this mess? Because the church ceased being the church as an influence prophetic voice in the culture. 
we can't point our fingers to government and politicians. We've got to come back, and we've got to point our fingers back at ourselves, and we've got to take responsibility to where we are now. Let me give you some, some very disturbing figures. Southern Baptist churches, this has just come out, Southern Baptist churches, and, and we all know we deeply love and appreciate our Baptist brethren, and brethren, many of us came out of Baptist churches, I did, and we deeply appreciate the ministry that these churches have had over the years. The newest statistic is 70% of Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or in decline. 15% are all but dead. There are only 15% that are considered healthy growing churches. When you look at ECO, one of the things we're finding about ECO is that majority of the churches in ECO are plateaued or declined. And we wonder where our influence is. We wonder how we've gotten it. You know, Christians are salt and light, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? We're salt and light. We're the influencers. But what's happened is we've come in and we started, you know, we get in these little, we get in our little holy huddles with each other. And even with that, we start nitpicking these little things. And we get all upset about, particularly as we're going, look, we're going through some big changes here in changing the culture of our church. And it means change. And, and people can get upset about all these little things. Listen, we do not have time for that. What we have to do is rediscover the gospel. The only hope is that God's people rediscover the gospel. And the only way you're going to rediscover the gospel is for you in your own life and for us as a congregation, for us to begin to see again the, the blazing beauty and glory and holiness of who God is. And when you see his beauty, when you see his glory, when you see who he is, I mean, the most beautiful, spectacular, awesome of all things to ever view is the glory and holiness of God. And when you come to grips with that, all you can do is be driven to your knees in humility. And it's then that we stop religion and moralism, and we get serious about the gospel. We have to come to grips with our failures. We have to see ourselves for what we really are, and we've all failed. In light of the beauty and holiness of him who is perfect in every way, and when you're brought there, when you are brought low, when you're brought to that point, what happens is you rediscover the wonder of the cross. You begin to be in awe of the love and forgiveness of Jesus. You see the immense love that he has for us, the immense beauty of who he is and how he loves us and cherishes us and went to the cross for us and gave his life for us. And when you're brought to that place and you see him and you rediscover the wonder of the cross, then you begin to identify the idols of your hearts, all those things that we make so important that we put above Jesus and our walk with him. And you know what happens? We begin to change. And I tell you what I'm praying for. And I'm praying that we see a movement of renewal, a movement of gospel rediscovery among the people of God because when that happens, when that happens, 
the vision that we've set of growing faithful Christians to engage and impact the culture with the transforming power of Jesus will happen. But not until then. You follow this? I mean, this is core to what this vision is. This vision is not about First Presbyterian. We're not trying to get great numbers or build some great church. Every preacher I've ever seen who did that fell because it was about themselves. What we're seeking is a movement of renewal among the people of God that allows us now to come back and be salt and light to a world that desperately needs the gospel. And it's in community that all of that gets worked out. It's in community that we're going to begin to take seriously this thing called gospel and see it's not about religion. It's not about just this, oh, we're great, you know, we're wonderful Presbyterians and we're members of the church and all this kind of bit. It's not about that. It is about this vital, deep, wonderful, glorious relationship with a Savior who adores us. I'm going to tell you something. When, when little Shelt came in there, Papa Papa and jumped in the bed with me at 530 I just grabbed that little boy and pulled him up to me and cried. I was so happy. My little grandson. And I'm going to tell you something. That's how God views you. That's how God views you. He loves you that way. Now let me tell you, because he loves us that way, because he loves us that way, don't you want to live for him? Don't you want your life to count? Richard told us so clearly last week, why do we obey? We obey because we know the author and we know the love of the one who gave us his word. We don't obey to earn his favor. Listen, we have his favor. We seek to live out the gospel and work the implications of the gospel out because of his love for us. And how could we do any other? So here's what I'm saying. There has to be a radical change in our lives. You may be a Christian. You may have been here for all of your life. Of the, I start to say a charter member of this church. You'd have to be pretty old if you were a charter member of this church, wouldn't you? 168 years. But, you know, you've been around a while and you've lost the wonder. We can get gospel inoculated. We hear it and we just take it for granted. You see, until you, when it comes to relationships, in our sin nature, what we do with our relationships with our sin nature is we often use people for our benefit. Sorry, but we do. We even see it in marriages. We, we use the other person for our benefit to make us feel better about us. When the gospel comes to bear in your life, a radical change happens. And you begin to view others for their sakes, 
not for your benefit. And when we as a church begin to live the gospel out that way, in community with each other, working together to work out these implications of the gospel in our marriages, with our children, in our work, in the society, yes, in politics and everything, when we begin to do that and there is this movement, I am praying it spills out of this church through the ECO. We have an opportunity for this church to be a lab church for the ECO for renewal. We have an opportunity in this community for this church to be the catalyst for a movement of God of renewal in Greenville. Would you pray with me for that? And then would you come back and would you look at Jesus this morning who gave himself, emptied himself totally because he loved you. And he went to the cross and on that terrible cross, terrible, terrible cross, he suffered for you so you could be set free to live for him. And he holds you. He holds you. You're his child. And now we become partners in the gospel to take this gospel to this world that desperately, desperately needs it. Let's pray. Father, this morning... We so need to rediscover the beauty of the gospel. And I know from my own experience it happens best when I'm in community with other people who are searching for it too. I know it happens best when I'm with other believers in these radical gospel-driven personal relationships that are helping me work out the implications of the gospel for my life. And I pray this morning that... God, you would move in our midst and help us as a church to become a secure home where this is happening and it spills out to have influence in our community, denomination, nation, and the world. We plead you for a fresh movement of your spirit. For we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. Also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education. Uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children, I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church 
is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We are situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.